Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the only place on the internet that's not going to talk about Game of Thrones, even though I know Kato, you would like to, but I'm yeah. not, I'm going to prevent you. I'm not sure? going to do it. Didn't we already just do that? That's all going in this yeah, podcast. I, that's going at the end. Oh, shit. <laughs> that's, well, no. <laughs> Post it. What happened? I have no control other than vetoing certain things about my personal life. I have no control over the post pod. And so what you do there, I don't consider to be canon because I don't know. Oh, it's know. real. It's in the same mm. audio file. That's part of the canon. None of this selective bullshit. No, this is the true <laughs> beginning of episode 235 of Waypoint Radio. Uh, Austin is off in Los Angeles as part of uh, Judges Week and uh, the run-up to E3. I am officially getting not just emails about appointments for E3, but follow appointments saying like, hey, we're starting hey. to book up. If you want to see these Capcom games, you better make a appointment. So uh, this week I am joined uh, by, well, post-pod himself, uh, Kato. <laughs> Uh, and Rob, Rob is here. You know, Rob, I'll I'll allow this. I'll allow you to make it. Do you have a Game of Thrones take? Do you want to put it out in the world? Not really. I'm not watching the season. Okay, good, great. That's <laughs> perfect. That's that's the take I was looking for, Rob. Um, and okay, actually, the take that I'm looking for is uh, you spent a bunch of time in the world of of rage. Although the internet rages about Game of Thrones, you've been actually raging. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would say here, I would say the best. world I've been in has been less rageful than Twitter in the last <laughs> in, in the last day or so. Um, but then again, there's it's not like that people have like eight years of investment in Rage Two. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when so did Rage playing, One come out? Yeah, honestly, Rob, so do you this want, is do interesting. You want to qualify that Rage? Well, in the helpful reviewers guide uh, <laughs> for Rage Two. Uh, which is clearly written. This is a weird thing. It's unusual you get a review guide that kind of feels like they're maybe lampshading the fact that people didn't care that much about Rage 1. Mm -hmm. Uh, They remind us that Rage 1 came out five weeks before Skyrim. (laughs) What a weird way to put it. (laughs) And then they say, uh, guess which one sold millions of copies and became a cultural phenomenon? (laughs) Can you say Foose Row Doe? Wow. Yeah. You so that's if kinda... you told me that, I would have said, you know what? Don't play this game. Like, let's, <laughs> you're good. Yeah. P- a uh, PR there... sin has been committed, and this is a crime. <laughs> uh, God, I don't even know if that stuff's for public consumption, but it's so funny. Uh, I'll look that up later. But it was weird because I was looking, I was trying to like, I was trying to find information. This is a key thing. I was trying to find information about a key mechanic in Rage. And I was starting to lose my mind because I was like, I feel like this should have been introduced by now. Like, I was like 
seven, eight hours in. And I was like, when do I unlock the overdrive mechanic? The whole like you rage out and your weapon like has extra abilities and you start gaining like healing points from kills and all this stuff. And I was like, that seems like a big part of this game. You missed a tutorial tip? It never activated. Are you? I got one. Where? <laughs> I don't. I don't. It's like really early. I don't. It's like I think it was during that like the invasion sequence that opens the game. It's like, yo, hit LBRB or whatever the equivalent is on your keyboard. So here's here is my suspicion. Uh huh. When I looked up, I was like, this thing should be active by now. So I look up like the key bindings, and it's like, okay, you act like what's it activated on? There was no key binding. It was empty. What? Right. What? Right. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, I'll just rebind it. I'll bind it to, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll bind it to, like, the, they're using, like, Z, X, C. So I was like, I'll bind it to, like, V or B or whatever. And I think V was the default, and I had a vague memory of V being it, but V had never worked. When I checked again, it was empty. So I bound it. It still didn't work. Yeah. And then I realized okay, critical part of playing this video game is dude, is this, the meter this, isn't even in the game for me. What? Rob? The, the, the overdrive meter isn't there. So in the lower left part of the HUD, right. you have this diamond with four panels showing your like very superpowers. And, there's and then skull. there's supposed to be a big old meter next to that mm-hmm. showing your like overdrive bar. And you fill that by getting kill combos, right? You put streaks and everything. Um, I can be in these like combat sequences and be at max combo, like 10 X, whatever. There is no bar or meter to fill. It's just, it's not there. It so is you phys- get the numbers going up in the bottom left hand corner, but like the corresponding skull that's supposed to fill up. There's no skull. Occur. There is no, there, there's no meter. Like the, the just the, <laughs> that graphical <laughs> interface element is not there in oh, my game. Oh no. So, I'm like, and I was like, do I need to go back? But if it if it popped during the opening sequence, uh, then I can't actually just go back to the the opening of the game because that's a sort of hived off from the rest of the game. You can't. Yeah. There's no physical location to go back to uh, for anything that happens in the opening sequence. It just didn't pop for me. So, I've been playing a version of Rage too. Uh, Sans Overdrive. I mean, Rob, I can, uh, I, as someone that has played five to six hours of it with an overdrive, like, not a fundamentally different and or better no, experience as a result. No, and that's the thing. I was like, it doesn't, like, I don't think I need this at all. In fact, I'm not it sure does, I need anything. That said, it does make, like, there are sequences in this game where you're, like, taking out, like, bandit hideouts. One of, like, a handful of, like, you know, mission types they have in Rage, or at least the, the spot that I played. Yo, I just pulled that mosquito out of thin air with Whoa. my hand. Good Holy God. That's like shit. Buffy the Vampire. Get out of here. It's <laughs> a movie. Gro- nah, I can't wash my hand now. I'm in the middle of a podcast. That's just mosquito guts on my finger for the next. Well, that's probably the worst thing you've had on your, your hands or person. <laughs> yeah, really. I, well, yeah, I say relative to handling a child, like, actually, that's probably cleanly. Um, <laughs> but, uh. There, there are sequences where you have to take out, like, a, a a base of, I don't know, like, 40 to 50, like, enemies. And yeah. the overdrive makes that, like, you know, you've got, like, a flamethrower base. It's just like, like, you just take them out 
really quickly. Whereas I guess in your scenario, it's just a little more pop and shoot. Um, yeah, well, it is and it isn't. So I was in a mutant hive the other day. You Stop know. me if this sounds familiar. <laughs> you ever been in a mutant hive and you're like, boy, I wish that's, I had a rage Bob, bar. That's a, that's a mean way to call Twitter. All right. It's bad. Yeah. It's not that bad. Uh, yeah. So I was in this like there's this mission where I had to go in a mutant hive and kill all these little like hive pod egg sack things, whatever. And mutants keep spawning as long as those things are around. So you're playing kind of this Easter egg hunt where you're trying to shoot these egg, egg sacks while mutants just kind of swarm in. And that sequence, I wished I had the overdrive function because it was boring. Like at a certain point I was like, I am really tired of just mowing these things down and I would like the sequence to be over now. Um, Cause like I am just trying cause, cause like to the get egg off sacks, the ride. Oh my God. The egg sacks sort of blend into the whole like general squishy guts aesthetic of like the mutant shit all over the wall. So I'm like trying to be like, is that just a texture or is that like a thing I'm supposed to shoot? And I shoot it and it either bursts like a, you know, like a pimple or it doesn't. Um, and then more mutants come out and I was, it was exhausting because it was like, just give me a second. I just need to find this fucking egg sack. Can you please? And then like, you know, people are jumping at me with like, you know, uh, axes and shit and I have to, you know, shoot them, but it doesn't. Yeah, I, I didn't need the overdrive bar because just the way the game is structured itself is so much like new doom in 2016 where you are kind of encouraged to just keep plunging forward into crowds of enemies. And as you kill them, they drop these um, bars that function both as like XP almost, but then also provide like a little bit of healing. So the combat, even without overdrive, is pretty easy because you just walk like wade into the enemy. You gun them down and then you heal and that's it. And that's, and that's the game. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's every encounter basically. Um, well, and like the, uh, you know, when I first started this game, uh, which is an open world game, we should mention, although that part does not help uh, Rage 2 based <laughs> on my experience with it. Um, it may have benefited from actually being like a more contained linear experience like Doom in which you could have created more interesting combat encounters for you to to run up against. Because uh, like I, I can't remember the last time that a game's marketing has been so different than the actual game that you're playing, you know, the, the marketing for Rage 2 has been very colorful and over the top and uh, essentially promising, like, you know, when, when they announced that they were partnering with Avalanche, you know, the developers of the, I I didn't play a lot of Mad Max, but a lot of people consider that to be like, well, Rob, you were on the way. We did a, we did a one-on-one. Right? Yeah. And, that, and this that's is supposedly important. that, that same team that, that worked on that. It feels um, like it. Yeah, it definitely, even aesthetically, you see like a lot of the lineage of Mad Max here, but um, the, the marketing sort of suggested like, look, we're going to, what if just cause, but in like a Mad Max like sort of setting, it's like, hell yeah, that sounds like that could be like <laughs> incredible. Um, and there's just almost none of that here. Like the open world is very bland, boring, empty. It's not a colorful world. It's not a particularly playful world. And I thought maybe what the game was going to then go for is like, okay, if the open world isn't that, maybe the combat is going to be that. Because one of the first things that happens in Rage 2 is you get access to, like, you start getting access pretty quickly to a, a handful of powers. Like, you can uh, double jump in the air, or you can jump in the air, and if you hold down on left trigger to line up your shot, you can literally just pause in midair and just kind of, like, 
matrix your way around. <laughs> um, it's not particularly useful. It's like cool once and then you never really have to use it again. Um, you have like these these powers. You go into what, focus mode? Yeah. Kind of like hold up your hand and then you can do five hours in. I only have only access to one power, which is basically like you like a force push sort yep. of thing that either strips the armor off of higher level enemies or like in, like just crumples regular enemies into a pile of goo. And I thought like, oh, so this game, what it's going to be is they're going to give me a million different weird powers and then I'm just going to come up with whatever build I think is the most fun to dick around with. And six hours in, I have one power and it seems like, oh no, this is a 20 hour game where they're going to slowly dole these out and there's only going to be four of them. And it's going to make for a not – this means the combat's going to get pretty rote Oof. pretty quickly. Like, it, is that essentially your experience? Like, oh. probably a dozen hours more than I am into this game, this Rob? This is such a weird thing. Um, first of all, I'm not sure it's 20 hours because, like, at, at, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, like, you know, 12 or so hours in. And they kind of give you a layout of how far you are along to the final confrontation with the boss. And it's not that far to start – it's not that long to start checking off boxes. So unless they're going to shoehorn a lot of missions once you've completed the base level tasks and it just turns into that sort of thing where you go to one of three sort of quest dispensers and get your next step and just repeat that forever until we all die. Um, unless <laughs> Life, it's going to do mean. that, I'm not sure that the, the game is going to be that long. But this is a... <sighs> this game is a little bit depressing, I think, because you recognize parts of much better games in it across the board. Like the combat is recognizably like the 2016 Doom. It is inspired by that. It is a lot of the same dynamics, that whole sense of you build momentum and you push deeper into the enemy, uh, you know, waves and stay close, stay fast. It's not stop and pop. It feels like that, but I think in part because it is constructed around this open world conceit, what you have are the combat spaces are very Far Cry-esque in that you go to an outpost. It's sort of a small, self-contained, tiny little arena for you to go into, and you kill all the enemies there. And in that model, and I'm playing on hard, and I'm still like, there's like nothing that has caused me to break a sweat, like nothing demanding has happened but in that model i think what's what's happening is that with doom you had greater enemy variety and so there were a lot of enemies like you, you know in the middle of doom you'd have combat encounters where there were like massive giant enemies who could basically one shot you and you had to watch out for them you had waves of enemies providing like physical barriers to you running around and being evasive. So there's a crowd control element. And then there'd be enemies like like laying down tons of like AOE attacks, rockets and shit. And so Doom was constantly asking you to like, even though it's a really fast paced game, Doom was also a game that actually really demanded a lot of you intellectually in some ways, right? You had to constantly be thinking at high speed about like, okay, I need to switch weapons now and where the hell am I going to move next to... And also the, me the melee attacks were being used as like a chain functionality, right? Yeah. To like keep your, your kill count going while you sort of like caught your breath, like thought about your strategy. And so yep. even though it was one of those things where you got tired a little bit of like the over-the-top animations, it also was like, oh shit, I need like three <laughs> seconds to yes. think about what I'm going to do next. And also you're invincible during that time. So it allowed you to sort of like reset the playing field for a brief moment before you pivoted to whatever 
uh, a creature you run to. Now. That's what the glory kill system really did, right? Is it kind of made it the sequence of like almost turn-based shooter combat where you'd be like, okay, I just did the next step of my plan. Now I got to rip this demon's face apart. <laughs> and while that happens, I can think about, okay, behind me to my left is this guy and then over here is open. And so that's how the game unfolds. Rage... You don't have to think about any of that shit. You can literally just kind of run forward with the assault rifle. Like at a certain point, I just stopped bothering with other weapons. I was like, the assault rifle seems to be getting the job done. Um, you can just basically run forward, just push down on the trigger. And there is no enemy. If you've upgraded the assault rifle, there's no enemy that weapon is ineffective against. Um, enemies have armor. Okay, cool. It'll take like five more rounds to bust the armor. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. And if, so if you just run around and like go in circles and like jump on the rooftops, they'll never hit you. They will never stop you. And so it becomes really undemanding in a way that Doom as and this is the weird thing. Doom, you felt like a badass killing machine, but also you still had to be smart about like how you used your tools, how you sort of like worked that entire conceit here. There is no real sense of you having to be better at being a rage player or you having to sort mm -hmm. of figure out an encounter or like utilize the, the assets you've given. It's, it's, I think, a really common problem in sandbox games where sandboxes tend to like fill the area with toys, toys for you to play with, but they don't always generate interesting things to for you to do with those toys or interesting challenges that you need to use the toys in some combination to solve. And that I think is the, is the trap this, this game part of this game falls into uh, is, is just that uh, it's, it's so busy like putting this sort of narrow variety of skills and toys and equipment in this really like flat sandbox uh, that it never really demands you change your relationship to any of the powers uh, mm -hmm. you have. And then the other, the other part is the part of this that the avalanche team, I suspect worked on, which is the open world and the car combat. All of this was done so much better in the 2015 Mad Max. That's like, so, so the id part was done better <laughs> in the 2016 doom. And then avalanche is here with a game that looks very similar, but also just way less interesting and a lot uglier than the 2015 Mad Max. And then it's all built around car combat, which is just utter garbage in this game. Mm. And it's so strange because it was good in Mad Max. Like, yeah, you could break the power curve in that game. But when you were driving through, like, you'd have those sort of like Fury Road type, like rolling battles in the Mad Max game where there's like dudes leaping onto cars. There's <laughs> harpoons like launching into yours. You got to break the harpoon. There's all sorts of shit happening. It would go for miles. It was high speed. It was dangerous here. Enemies just ignore me. <laughs> like I'm just driving around. Just I see a convoy. I'm, like, I'm going to attack it. So I start shooting them and they just drive away and they don't leave the road. They just stay on their little route and they just, they just leave. Um, and so the, the trick is just keeping pace with them. But like, there's no sense of you're driving around and like anything interesting happens. And you're like, oh shit, I need to react to this. It's literally just you try and almost grab hold of like enemy vehicles and be like, hey, do you want to have a car fight? And they're like, nah, we got, <laughs> sorry, we have to complete our loop. Yeah, so good. no. <laughs> yeah. My God.
Yeah, it's a it's a really strange game. Like you know, and you know, as someone that has the overdrive meter in their version of the game, <laughs> um, what will often happen is so like one of the strongest elements of Doom that made it so satisfying was that it often felt like. Not that it was outright a puzzle, but you could feel like at the end of a particularly satisfying combat sequence, like, ah, I could have done that better. Like, yeah. throw it at me again. Like, I, I want to, I, like, I have a better loop to get through this room. Um, and it's clear that, like, they're going for that to some degree with the combo meter, with the overdrive meter, in that you're trying to chain these things together. But because part of, you know, Doom's levels were constructed to be tiny contained arenas like with a purpose because they're they were going for a certain flow and asking the player to consider certain things in the way the enemies were doled out in the way that the, this wall was put here for a reason this platform was put here for a reason and that doesn't feel the case in, in Rage 2 but then what you end, ends up happening is like one of the the powers you get when you go into like overdrive or focus mode is that like you get like a predator type ability where you can see where like a, a heat map of like where enemies are. So it's like, ah, where are the, where's the next six that I got to take out? Um, but often they're so far away where it's like, cool, like got my combo, like time to go take out the six. And it's like, oh no, actually I got to like climb up this wall. I got to like go around this corner. Now the overdrive's gone. All right, I guess I'll just take them out the normal way as I wait for my powers to, you know, cool down or the overdrive to kick back up again. And it just makes it very unsatisfying and not in a way where it's like, ah, had I approached this differently, I could have gotten a more like uh, uh, satisfying route to run. It's more just, oh, this wasn't, this feels very slapped on and not really well considered or didn't come together in the way they were envisioning um, in, in a way that is just a, leaves it like deeply unsatisfying to play. Cause it's fine if you don't die. Right. Cause then what's supposed to pick up the slack is the style and like the personality, both of the game and the player and their interactions, which will happen. It's fine. If you're a, a God tier character, that's just bouncing around doing cool shit. And it's satisfying to do that, but that's just not, not the case for the vast majority of the time that I spent in the game. Even when I went to try and step things up by going to the, the mutant bash TV, which is, sort of Oh like my God. A, I hate that. A contained arena where it's like, oh, we're just going to throw waves of enemies at you. So it's like, all right, well, maybe this will give me a hint of, like, maybe I should make the difficulty hard. Like, I was just like, maybe, like, by throwing maybe hundreds of enemies at me, like, I'll get a sense of, like, what they were going for in the combat. And, like, that's just not the case in the arena mode either. It's just, why don't you just sit in the corner while slowly one or two enemies crawl out of a pipe? You take pot shots at them and you just move into the next room. It's Does it almost feel strange. they can't handle enough characters on screen to make this game interesting? That's the other it, part of this. Is that they, if it's a technology, I haven't played the Just Cause game, so I don't know how, or it's been a minute, so I don't know how that game handles on-screen enemies. But that's a game that is throwing lots of aesthetically wild shit at you constantly, and so. Maybe it's a te- technological constraint. Just, they like they just seem to dole it out way, too, or they just tuned it wrong. But it always feels like they're so stingy with the because I know it's the same thing. Mutant Bash TV, where it's like, okay, here, get ready for the next wave, and like six dudes come out, and I'm like, like I want Serious Sam. Yeah, right? like mm. that's what I wanted out of this game. It's like I like Serious Sam. You know, uh, uh, for folks who haven't played it, is like a very arcadey, old school Doom style shooter. Uh, in which its whole gimmick really is that, yo, we've built this game to handle yes. hundreds of enemies on screen at once. And like the new one that they're making is supposed to be like 10,000 
enemies <laughs> at once. And that's it. Like that's that's the gimmick is just like we're going to throw a billion enemies at you once. And I thought it kind of seemed like, oh, maybe that's what's going to happen with Rage 2. Or at least that even the game in front of me would have been more interesting if they were just throwing paper thin enemies, but just a hundred more of them at once where I'm just like crowded and overwhelmed and I'm like dealing with a pile of ants trying to to crawl on me. But instead, no, it's like a very rote standard. Oh, it's like six to eight enemies at once. And, but there's no like variety of enemy types. I, I'm never in danger. And just the actual moment to moment shooting powers is just not, is just not very, what are the other, so the only power I have is like I said, this force push. Like, do you get anything else interesting mechanically as you go along like what else do you play with there's like a barrier ability that you can do to like throw up a shield and then you can a also shield? use it i don't it need too. a shield in this game right right i need like star wars powers let me lift these dudes up and throw them at a wall or something right and that's and that's the thing and also i'm not sure where all these things live either i'm considerably farther I've got like two abilities. So I'm like, is it just because the thing I stopped doing was I stopped going to the old like arc locations where you get old world tech and shit. And I'm like, did they just stash some of these abilities in the arc locations that are boring to visit? Like, like, am I missing upgrades because they're not part of the main quest line? They're like treasures I'm supposed to find out on the map. Uh, right. like I have no idea. Um, but I, I sort of moved into pretty quickly a, let's just start getting through the story, uh, mode <laughs> as, as quickly as possible. Lots of fast travel. Cause Hey, if there's no interesting car combat on the road, then why the fuck am I spending seven minutes, uh, commuting from like one hub location to the next? Um, oh my God, there's this one dude in a swamp that you have to go to all the freaking time. He's the only one that's not in the hub location. So you have to like drive to his like secluded outpost, and you can you, only which is you can only fast travel to like hub locations that have a bunch of store vendors. You can't yeah. just plop somewhere on a map and hit that point. Damn. So you always have to drive to this dude's like place. The road is too narrow for cars to easily negotiate. Like it's like his place is surrounded by like this bamboo forest, and so like eventually I'm just like fuck it, I'll I'll walk it. And so you just like every time you see this guy. It's like a walk mm. uh, to, to to go see him. It's only a square um, over. Yeah. God, okay. <laughs> Thank you. It's just it was right there. Look, All I looked. I, I looked to. up this. I looked up this liquor store on Yelp. And, uh, it okay. Looks good. It looks good. Uh, so I think the there's another point there, which is the style, the story, um, and it's just terrible. It's the 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 way I would describe it is this feels like an entire script of nothing but punch up. Um, mm. If you're familiar with punch up, right? Like Pat Oswalt has a good bit about it in one of his uh, stand up sets. But uh, basically, like punch up is you hire comedy writers to come to a script and just like add jokes and make like each little sequence like make it a little funnier, like make it a little punchier. Uh you just you just take something that could be like really transactional or or kind of dull, and then you add a little bit of color and, and flair to it. But there has to be one, there's really limits to how far you can push punch up. Um mm. and two, there has to be something there in the first place. This game feels like they just started with punch up. Like it just feels like different writers being thrown at every single character. And I'll give you an example. Early on, you have to, the game introduces you to a dirt track 
racing series, like set of mini games in the world of Rage 2. And the entire thing is run by this guy. And you can almost hear the pitch where it's like, okay, so for this character, you have to imagine that he's like a southern, like dirt track racing, like, uh, you know, impresario type character, but also he loves meat. And he talks all the time. He refers to everyone by like different cuts of meat. And he's got like a big old like turkey leg. He's like eating every scene. And here's their thing. So and so you have to imagine character arc. Meat duck. And he loves pancakes too. And he's like. Yeah, he's like, like at one point he's like he's gonna refer to you because everything's about food. So he's like he says, "Man, you were running faster than a slab of butter on a stack of pancakes." And God damn it. the thing is, so one, this uh, isn't that funny, but two, and this is the thing: like you have to, you know, here's what you have to consider when you're writing jokes in your fictional world. For that joke to work, you immediately have to ask, like, prime rib. Pancakes? What? Like, so they got like a Waffle House in this world? Like, <laughs> like, like, if this is his character, this character's whole bit is like, man, I just love barbecue and, and pancakes. Mmm. Come here, home slice. So if that is his whole bit, then and it's nonstop. Like every sequence, like every, he does not deliver a straight line in this game. It's, it, it's just like, get over here, crackling. <laughs> Every scene is him saying shit like that. But here's the problem. I haven't seen a single fucking livestock herd in this game. You don't see people gardening. <laughs> like, it, it, but this is the thing, right? Does it's food like, exist? <laughs> does it? Yeah. What food exists? Like, this is a, this is a wasteland apocalypse, but I go to the cities and like, there's neon signs and people are going to the bar and like, give me a drink. And then this dude's like, mm, I just want a stack of flapjacks. <laughs> and all of that raises questions as to have you ever seen a flapjack in this world like this is important shit like what is the state of play in this world and the game actually has no idea has no interest in that so you got like you have things like drunks hanging out in bars but you don't have a sense of so is like their functional economy here there are only three settlements that work in the entire game Rob, um, the CG intro to this game is hysterical because oh it, like it's. I highly recommend the one not playing this game, but <laughs> looking up the intro to to Rage Two because it like a, makes a, I guess an attempt to summarize the story of Rage One like incredibly like in ten seconds like ah like the world bad. They name the main character from Rage 1, like, very quickly, <laughs> and then it ends with, ah, he hit a button, and then, like, vegetation came to the world. But, like, not really. Like, it's like, no, there's like, no, I, I didn't understand what the consequences of Rage 1 were. I played that game. It's a better game than Rage 2, weirdly, for a game that was maligned for being highly disappointing. Um, it's an extremely odd way to try and summarize the plot from... God. And all those cutscenes. Mega textures. 
No, did not. <laughs> no. Damn. Not even a joke. You, you, you would think. <laughs> you would think somewhere in this game would be jokes about rage, but not not uh they just don't want to pretend that game exists. Well, nor... it's, it's a weird kind of prey situation too, where it's like, fuck it, we got this IP. Like we'll loosely tie this to the other thing, but it doesn't they're not really connected. And there's no superpowers in Rage One, right? Like right. <laughs> there's no. like none of this like weird nanotechnology that makes your arm get force powers. Which is fine. Who cares? But it's it's still like a little strange. Yeah, and the cutscenes all feel like mid two thousands janky in a way. Like they cut you out of the action, and immediately you're in a weird scripted sequence. The main enemy in this game, I sh- I shit you not, looks like a robot chicken character. <laughs> um, like it's so like it specifically reminds me of. Um, do you remember? There's this robot chicken sketch where like uh like cryogenically frozen Walt Disney like puts on a mecha suit and tries to reclaim Alien Gonzalez and attacks Cuba in his like mecha suit and then Casper shoots him in the head. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird sketch. (laughs) But the point is that's basically the character design we're working with here. It's like your enemy is just this fucking disembodied head on this like garbage mecha suit. And that's it. That's all we know about the enemy. He's right. just like, ah, it's General Cross. He's just he's just a head on a Yeah, but he's bad, suit. Rob. Yeah. Gotta kill him. <laughs> Not sure what he's all about, but th- but there he is. And he's just and, and even when you fight him, he's a garbage enemy. Cause even because even the bosses don't move. Like you have two two types of enemies. You have the swarming type, which is basically everyone, and then occasionally there's a big boss character. And they don't move. They just come into the level and they just sit there. I when I fought the first like giant mutant enemy, uh, like pretty early in the game, uh, it sets up. It's trying to like set up the loop of exploring the world, which is where like there are major landmarks for you to like arc centers in order to like go into the ground, find these upgrades and um, different hub areas. But then also question marks. You know, like this is how these games work. And um, one of the early question marks that you can investigate takes you down into an underground sort of like mutant lair. And then you fight like there at the, at the end of it is a big mutant. And I'm like, Oh cool. Like a named enemy. Like there's a health bar that shows up. I'm like, all right, like this, maybe this will be interesting. And no, that mutant just stands in the center. And I just clicked on overdrive, shot it in the head for 30 seconds. And like, that's it. <laughs> and I looked around the arena that I was closed into. And they're like, uh, you know, like uh, radioactive barrels, like clearly stuff you're, and I shot them and it exploded. And I was like, oh, like, well, the design of this arena is it's a really difficult enemy that you're not gonna be able to take down with your bullets. You're gonna have to bait it over near these barrels to do any real damage, except no. <laughs> like, that's not how the fight worked at all. And so just like that, that specific sequence sums up so much of what I don't understand about this game because what its intentions are or even what it's communicating is so far removed from what the player is actually doing. Um, It's just just like, I don't what if this was what you were going to do with rage Two, like why, like why bother? Um, Just such a a really disappointing game. Cause I was like, I I was looking like as someone that uh, skipped over Mad Max it was basically like, well, I'll just wait for, like, the weirder version of Mad Max. 
like this is where they ended up with it is just like strange, a strangely subdued video game that doesn't know like really what it wants to be. Mm. And that's not, that's really not the like takeaway I expected to come away with from Rage 2. And I guess that's Rage 2. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a frustrating game because like you can see parts of a promising game in, in it. Um, and we know that all these studios have, have done better things uh, in this vein. And it's just really, it's as clear an example as I can see as to when you just slam like different dev teams together and tell them to make something like Far Cry, but also like what they usually make. And the result is this, it just feels like everyone did, everyone laid a foundation for the type of game they were building. And then that was combined into one game and that was kicked out the door before enemy behavior was fully developed before. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it just feels, it, it feels really either unfinished or just ill-considered. Well, that's a bummer. Uh, well, probably by the time you go, this podcast goes up, there'll be a piece on the site that is uh, a longer, a written version of <laughs> your, uh, <laughs> your very happy thoughts on, on rage Two. So uh, look for that uh, up on the site. Um, Kato like, what I can't take two disappointing things in a row. Okay. Can you can you take can you take us out of this? Can you take us to the land of Pokemon? <sighs> yeah, sure. Is, is it a happier place? Yeah, slightly. I know that in this land of Pokemon, they don't they don't it's not they're not committed to slavery right. in this version of Pokemon. It's, well, it's a happy version well, of Pokemon. Not I guess. the entire well, here's the thing. You, the okay. movie starts with him trying to catch a Pokemon in a Pokeball. Pokeballs, what? yes. Oh, okay. Pokeballs right. exist in this world. Here's the thing, and this has happened in the Pokemon games as well. Different areas and cities and municipalities and countries will have different like versions of like what they do with Pokemon. So there's there's games, there's like Pokemon games, like the Pokemon Rancher games, for example. Like they treat them kind of I mean, more or less like livestock stock or like a ranger in like a nature preserve and like they're like allowed to roam free and nobody battles them. Like that's a thing that has existed in the games before. It's just very strange for the first thing to be out in, you know, the first like big movie has none of the like traditional things that you consider like, you know, the nobody's carrying around Pokeballs in this specific city. It's like, the whole yeah, like if setup. you ask someone yeah. to describe Pokemon, yeah. even like a normal person that doesn't play video games, they're like, oh yeah, like you capture them and then they fight. Yeah. And then the first movie they make has none of that. Yeah. There's like one the 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 reason and like there's there is a Pokemon fight, but it's like a, it has to be underground because this whole city is supposed to be like, you're not supposed to battle Pokemon. Right. And ultimately, like the movie is really just this um weird this weird like mist not not even like uh it's very it's a very strange film because it it rides this line between being like hey look at this pokemon hey look at this cool thing you remember this thing right and also being for like a newer like young kids it, it like it like mm-hmm. feels like they're trying to hit both people who played the original games who are much older at this point and also like kids who don't maybe don't know this specific generation of pokemon but like maybe interested cuz hey pikachu's cute right so the plot ends up being like oh um like surprisingly dark 
but then there's also like a t- five like a 10 minute exposition scene where it explains the weird dark plot to the kids who maybe didn't follow it at the near the end <laughs> like it's so weird um the what designs you, of the like pokemon what kind of dark plot are we talking about like noir like you know intrigue about abuse of power and there's that that's in like, there that's in yeah. that's part of it but it it goes to some weird places even for pokemon um it's like a big right, you got to give us a little bit like i'm not God, you know okay. i'm trying to figure slight out slight spoilers or you know but the, the thing pokemon the movie, thing is is like, like yeah no hold on skip like a skip 5 minutes i'm about to say some pokemon okay. movie spoilers okay Please, so at the end the the big thing that happens at the end is that the the like evil like the like antagonist like wants everyone to live in pokemon bodies and that's why excuse me yes exactly and that's why he's uh, made this city where pokemon and humans just like run free was for ultimately he's got this serum that puts pokemon in a state where then using the powers of mewtwo uh he can force people into the bodies of the pokemon Wait, that get out <laughs> It's 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 um it's here's the thing though it's amazing it's like really good because you're not expecting this like even no that in is the like poke- that's real it's that's a really strange plot twist yes in like I can't tell if it's in a good way but it's at least at the I think it I, I think it works expected to be surprised yes exactly okay, all right I think but the the weird the weirdness of it uh the weirdness of the movie itself is like. It's just like this weird, like it's dealing with strange things that it then has to like explain just in case you're a kid that doesn't quite understand why these things are strange. It's very, there's there's like small dialogue, like things where it's like, oh, this like five minutes was like, let's catch up on what's happened so far because you might be missing the plot because there's a lot of moving pieces it's very weird. Like they couldn't decide. Like it's like, yeah, let's go with the complicated <laughs> like, pot with like, lots of characters, but also we'll have to stop and explain it every once in a while because there's kids watching. <laughs> like it's like three different cartoon episodes stitched together, and it's like previously on right exactly uh, this movie. In every every like, once we just in need a to while, get in some of these bits. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, I thought it was it was pretty fun, and like it's just um. It was yeah. It's just those parts where like it it kept having to stop and just do an exposition dump. It was like no, I get it. Stop doing that. But also like did it. Here's something I'm really curious about though. Yeah. Did it feel like there was a meaningful Pikachu character here, or did it just feel like listen to Ryan Reynolds? Oh do a wait, goofy Ryan that's Reynolds the other that's the other thing about and, this. Yeah. No, there was the the character. If you skip the f- five minutes and you're back now, skip ahead another five minutes. We're going back into it. Wait, Kato, can I can I spit out a theory based yeah, yeah, on yeah. the information I currently have? Yeah, what's up? So is is so is Ryan Reynolds' Pikachu one of these like mashups? Mm-hmm. Like, is that the, re- the explanation mm-hmm. for the, the the lore reason for the speaking is that he is a human trapped in a Pokemon's body? Yep. 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 Can you guess who it is? What? He's the he's, oh, is it his father? Yep, it's his father. Pikachu his was father his dad the whole time. time. Damn, that's a good twist. <laughs> oh and my god! But wait, wait is, so is his father his, is his father the evil character, or there's another antagonist? No, there's another. There's yeah, it's it's definitely that's the whole. So like, father is good scientist. Yes, father is good, 
and then there's like there's, yeah that's the whole that's the real twist it's like like three quarters of the way in you, you're on board with believing that actually his dad was in some fucked up shit then the t- twist at the very very end is like no he was on the good side here's what actually happened boom your dad is this Pikachu <laughs> Does his dad what? Pikachu not know he's his dad? <laughs> no, he's got amnesia. Cause fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good and so weird, but Kato, also I I'm like this, you've sold me on this movie harder than yeah. like this. Like I am I am firmly a uh, person who avoids spoilers, like <laughs> mute keywords on Twitter, like like did their best to go into a movie like Endgame where like I don't want to know shit yeah. about this movie. I just want to experience it. That said, there are <laughs> t- and we'll stop spoiling this movie now. Yeah. Like if you're, no, I, I, won't wanna, I, wanna say, I won't say anything else. I want to say in I want to say in reflection upon this spoiler moment. If you're someone's like I don't want to know about this movie, I'm gonna wait until I see it. Actually. Like you may want the, the spoilers sold me on this film in a way. <laughs> if you're not sold and trailers, don't care already, right? Go back yeah, and listen like to those spoilers because like, you might be sold. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I don't need to see this Pokemon movie. It's yeah. like, well, actually, like maybe you do. Yeah, like because I so I thought it was strange reading a Polygon article in which they uh, they explain like part of the reason this movie is the way it is, which is like the Pokemon Company put down like very strict guidelines mm. on. The world that could be depicted, which right. is that no Pokeballs, like this is a world where Pokemon and people exist side by side in like relative harmony, which my takeaway on that was like, is that you subtly realizing that if this video game was depicted in the real world, <laughs> it would come across as like really creepy and weird and that right. you didn't want people to like go like, actually the Pokemon games are kind of fucked up and how they treat the relationship between their supposed friends that they keep in these, these bubbles. Um, that said, uh, I'm, if they thought, Oh, that's too dark. Can't depict that in a movie. And then the movie goes to the places that you just <laughs> described, Kato. Damn. Like yeah. the Pokemon company's well, understanding of their material and what it, they consider dark is. Hmm, I think it actually has nothing to do with darkness. I think it's absolutely just like, this is what, so Detective Pikachu is a game as well. It's like, this is that city right. from that game. And that's how that city functioned was like, they were all side by right, side. There right, were right. no, but there is still, there is still battling in, in here. It's just like, See, it's like seedy underground, Probably like, like gritty, seamy underbelly. Yep, exactly. Like it's and like there's a Pokeball right at the beginning of the of the thing. Like uh, it's it's just that this city exists in the context of a greater, uh, bigger Pokemon world. What I hope they want full fucking Deer Hunter like underground ring with it, where it's just like it's <laughs> <laughs> talking like sweaty and people like waving wads of cash. I mean, you're not, <laughs> you're not. I, I want to see, I want to see Pokemon bleed off. tonight. You're not that far <laughs> off, honestly. It's uh, it's a whole thing. I think it's great. I mean, I I like, enjoyed it, but it just it's like you have to go in knowing that it also like has weird dialogue moments where you're just like, I don't need this. Like, I get it. Stop explaining the movie that I just watched to me. Like, <laughs> so you're like what you're saying is that uh, these moments that you recognize as the movie trying trying to straddle this line between being like. Like a good movie, but also like something specifically aimed at children. Yeah. Like it actually seemed like, hey, actually, you maybe you should just trust the kids. Yes, a little shorter bit. Absolutely. absolutely. Or, or fuck cop. them kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, like, look, look, like the MCU, right? Like, is a a a uh, a, a series of films that often delves into like t- the movie Endgame. I'm not going to spoil it. It's like a very dark 
thematic film dealing with a lot of weighty topics, and yet is also a movie that plays well to like children. I don't know, like six and above, like probably, yeah. like roughly. Yeah. Um, but isn't a movie that constantly finds itself having to like take its breath and go like, so you're. We know that you can't keep up with this, <laughs> yeah. so we're gonna sit here and doing like exposition. There's exposition dumps, and then there's just not trusting your audience. It just yeah, it, it, sounds, it definitely feels it like, like it's not trusting the audience at all. It's just like and it, that, that may be the Pokemon company, yeah, right? Like I yeah. like given like the rules in place, I wonder. <clears throat> yeah, Pokemon this is the first time Nintendo Pokemon games <laughs> do this too. Actually, like even when oh, really? they yeah, even when they touch in like there's definitely always the like very long like. Okay, we get what you were doing already, but here's the here's the villain spelling it all out just in case you missed parts of it. Situation like that happens a lot. Um, well, maybe it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you go in knowing that and can kind of get over those moments, overall, is a very enjoyable experience that went places that I was not expecting. <laughs> um, and also, all the Pokemon designs are cool. Like they're all creepy and weird, but like just on that line between like being too far out. And creepy to, um, if you saw those old, uh, like super, like re- ultra realistic but very like upsetting character designs of P- of Pokemon that were floating around the internet years ago, um, well, that artist worked on this. Movie, that it's I that believe. artist which can go too far, right? I think some of those illustrations, the point was to make them, uh, realistic to the point of being like uber like upsetting. But this, like, gets up to the line of upsetting and, like, rides it real well, I think, as far as their designs go. Well, well, that's, I mean, that's encouraging. Like, look, like, these movies tend to be, like, boring and rote and, like, don't have much an an identity. Like, having seen, like, a great majority of them just out of, like, curiosity. Right. So the fact that this movie, whatever its faults, isn't, like, boring and, like, tries a few daring things is, like, for the pedigree of this type of film, like, like, it's a low bar. Sounds like it might yeah. be the greatest <laughs> video game movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Probably. we need to rewatch Mortal Kombat to to to, to, to right, establish that. Right. Like Mortal Kombat is my baseline. Hold on, for that. Sonic hasn't but come out seems... yet. That's true. That movie's gonna be you know, <laughs> trash, garbage, fire. But like, I mean, well, no, but like, right? Like Mortal Kombat feels in the spirit of like the franchise. Detective Pikachu feels like this in the spirit of the franchise. Like, I, well, maybe Sonic is a fucking terrible video game series, so maybe that is in the spirit <laughs> of the franchise. Well, I, I take it there back. Are some, right, so, Kano, there are I, some good Sonic games, goddammit. Right, Sonic Mania. Look, look, hey, Sonic Mania is a, a tremendous video game. I don't know that, but it feels like no. the Sonic movie is more in line no. with different parts of the Sonic cycle um, that we are familiar with. I'm getting with the weirdest Sonic 06 vibes. Oh, no. What is happening? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let's try and let's try and brush off those vibes. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, hit that Final Fantasy VII trailer. Go to the strategy corner. We're gonna go to the Destiny corner too. Like, Hell look, yeah. Austin's not here. We'll do whatever we want. <laughs> um, so let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. Uh, I want to at least uh, briefly touch on... um, because on was it Thursday evening? Sometime late last week, uh, yeah. there was Sony had another one of their state of plays uh, as they slowly try and figure out how to do a Nintendo Direct, basically. <laughs> um, and uh, the big thing, there were two big things out of that. Let's hit the smaller one first. I didn't get a chance to watch this trailer, but they Capcom showed was it Iceborne, right? Like this the, right. the winter themed expansion that's coming in September. September ninth. September ninth. Um, Something like that. Yeah, uh, so I played a lot of Monster Hunter World. Kato, you played a lot of Monster Hunter World, but I didn't watch yeah. this trailer. Like, here's what I... It's winter. There are more dragons. Like, w- is that... The... Yeah, sure. It? More? <laughs> what's what's going on? There's a little more. There's um, there's a couple more. So, yeah, it is winter, but uh, it's not just... Uh, it seems like this is a new area, right, of, the, of this world. So it's not just, like, seasons changed, but also... Uh, this is like heavy, deep snow area, like snow up to your waist type of stuff where it looked like there were a few monsters that would kind of like stay below the surface of the snow and jump out of uh, you and things like that. Because that was like my that. question of like, like mechanically yeah, or like environmentally, it would like, it's more than just like, here's an aesthetic here's change. A, like, yeah, like the colors are different. No, no, no. It definitely looks like it's a, it's a new area. It'll add a new area on the map uh, that you can go to uh, aside from the ones you already have. And um, it does seem to have some uh, snow specific mechanics. And they showed off like three different uh, enemies, uh, one of which looked like a giant elk that had horns very similar to the bull from Sekiro. And I was like, I'm going to try to accidentally parry that shit and forget <laughs> I'm playing the wrong game. Cause it does, it does the same like barreling move straight at you. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it looks uh, pretty interesting. There was something about a grapple hook, although I have, I forgot about that because it was like a blip in the, in the actual trailer and people were talking mm-hmm. about it afterwards. Like, did you notice that there was a, somebody was grappling to something. I was like, what? I didn't even see it, but I have to go back and look in there. But it looks like uh, they showed off like three new monsters. One of them was a new dragon. Um, and it looked like pretty meaty for an expansion. So it seems like it's definitely some- enough to get me who has fallen off. Like I haven't touched it since uh, last year, but I did. Did play you finish through. it? Almost. I think I'm on like the second to last dragon. Okay. I so maybe quite- you found. I- Right, there's like uh, Nurgigante is one of yeah. like the final ones. I did that with Danica and Austin. I hit that one too, and I th- yeah. And then I think we st- might have stopped after that. And then it's like there was one more we're at the point where it's like there's it's the end game, right? There's only yeah, like yeah, a yeah. couple major bosses after yeah. that, but um, basically Austin and Danica stopped playing, and I was like, all right, well this sucks because um, <laughs> you can't solo those fights, and I I could have just like, you, teamed you up can. with people, but it's. It's you hard, can, but it's not fun. It's not like, or at least <laughs> I mean, that's not the way I wanted to play the game. Um, right, that's fair, uh, especially for some of the the like that one that does all the wind bullshit. That can be. Oh, we did that one. We did yeah, yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, I didn't, that one I tried to do on my own was like, well, this sucks <laughs> because well, like it's, the, it's often the problem was not dying. It was running out of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is what would happen to me when I played solo. So it's not, not so much like you couldn't find cheese tactics or like the right build to go in and do it. It's that I just couldn't do enough damage in the 40 minutes or whatever it is that I had in the, in the mission. Yeah. It's definitely, if you're playing solo, it definitely turns into like, you need to spend a lot of time grinding materials and make stuff exactly the right way for the next like boss. But then it like extends the game by many, 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 many hours of like in like inter inter boss uh, leveling that wasn't ever very fun for me, which is why I kind of fell off of it. Um, right. But, uh, and this and looks like if the, if the, the, like it's, is this meant to be, I'm sure it's like largely high level content, but like, right. if you were to like start the game from scratch, is it just like a different area you could go to and, or is this always going to be something that's like, Hey, you've done like the main game story. You have Here's, high level yeah. gear, go to this other island. Um, it's, it, I'm pretty sure it was, it's that second one where it's, you just like, it's an additional, after the quote unquote story is over, you have an additional story to go to. So it's once you've beat the main campaign once, then you can go hang out in this new area, basically, for high level stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, you, you should, uh, I, this afternoon after I eat lunch, I need to book an appointment to go see this. See so it. You should, yeah. just come, you should just come with me, Kato. Hell yeah. We'll go see. We'll go see the new Monster Hunter. Um, the other thing in that state of play uh, 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 event was, yeah, they showed the first gameplay of Final Fantasy VII uh, remake, mm-hmm. uh, the game they've been teasing for what feels like a decade uh, now. Remember that um, first level? D- yeah, remember d- Mid- Midgar, right? Like, yeah. th- that's the world. Uh, that's that first city. Um, still episodic, but yeah, they showed that uh, it's weird to see them talk. I don't know how I feel about that. That seems like a strange thing to say after they've made like several CG anime movies yeah. in which they all talk. They all talk. Yo, I, uh, after watching that trailer, I was like, damn, I need to look up, look back up uh, Advent Children and see how this compares. <laughs> hey, Advent Children looks way rougher and less good than I remember. Just yeah. putting that out there. I was like, hey, motorcycle fight, Advent Children. That was awesome, right? Like, I, I bet there's no way this game compares to that. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, Advent Children. You're bad. Uh, it was a different time. Uh, we had different different standard for what uh, those movies could look just, like. And people were bottomlessly thirsty for just anything to yeah. give them the sense of closure that they needed from Final Fantasy VII because they didn't like the story they'd been told. Yeah. And it's a perfect ending. You should have just left it there. Stop it. Like, am I? So this is a really – I am – the trailer looks whatever. Like uh, I'm more of a Final Fantasy VIII stand than a seven stand, but I loved seven. Like it was a like huge part of my childhood, and you know a game that I've said you know multiple times on on this podcast that like I maxed the clock like nine 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 nine. Like I hit that um, doing like the Knights of the Round uh, like quest to get that like final ridiculous summon. Um, so I have like a deep nostalgia for Final Fantasy seven, but not. Like, I don't consider it to be uh, precious, right? And so mm. I'm so curious to see what they end up doing with this. Is it is it a straight adaptation? Because it can't be, right? Like, they're not going to just adapt the script. So they're rewriting the story. The story, by being episodic, like, the narrative structure is going but to be different. Yeah. This is a, 
But this is the weird thing. They've said so many different things about it. Like on the trailer, they're sure not emphasizing it being episodic. Uh, they've said like repeatedly this game is going to come out in episodes, but they they maybe that they're not playing that up right now. Um, and then they were also talking about adding new content and sort of bringing in stuff from these sort of extended uh, like lore of Final Fantasy VII and folding that into the campaign huh. that's here. And so it would be more, it wouldn't just be a straight retelling of Final Fantasy VII, but it would be folding in other like supplemental material that's existed around that story. Like it's really, I don't know what this is still. I like, I don't mm. fully know what the Final Fantasy VII remake means. What's funny is I was surprised how much how closely that trailer seemed to be hewing to what we've already seen in Final Fantasy VII, right? Like, yeah. literally. Mm. And now part of that is the nostalgia play. They were showing us things that, like, have imprinted on all of our psyches at various points. And so now we see them again in this remake, and it's impressive and also pushes those buttons. But also, it was so faithful that I was wondering... Did they change the plan and they've gone back to just give people the Final Fantasy VII they remember, but make it look modern? Well, this yeah. game has had a rocky development already. Like they haven't expressly said this, uh, but it's been sort of implied by it was originally being made by a different ex- in collaboration with an external developer, and that ended like a year and a half ago, or maybe less than that, and then it was moved internally. So, like this game itself has had like a rocky sort of development that maybe is reflective of like what you're talking about rob and it's just like like but i just think about like fundamental things like so this quite i'm gonna write about this this week is like are we are we not are we back to not spoiling final fantasy 7 because like there's some big shit including like a <laughs> one major moment like a defining no i think i think we are i think we're that, back to not no, spoiling final that. fantasy 7 that that no that's like that's I'm, not, I'm not gonna say it in this podcast i'm not gonna say it here that quote-unquote spoilers on a fucking t-shirt I know, I know, but like, <laughs> how long ago was Final Fantasy VII? Nineteen ninety-seven. So, Six? Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> I'm so old. I'm probably like I know, like yeah, Rosebud. Please, this yes. spoiler can never exist. It can never be a spoiler. Like if you like if you want to be, would you uns- put it in a headline and feel good about yourself? Yeah, I would. Right now? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I couldn't wow. do that, right? <laughs> And if, people, and if people were, and people, and if people were angry at me about it, I'd be like, "Good, I'm glad." You're <laughs> um, wow, because... just like Danny, Rob takes the heel turn, unearned so far. <laughs> no, I think. Honestly, I think this one was better uh, telegraphed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd l- like Rob I'd laid that is... groundwork for 200 plus episodes. <laughs> yeah. Part of this is spoiler culture is inherently silly because it's this because I think it's it's always in conjunction with this. I want to be part of the conversation around this thing, but also I don't want to learn anything about the thing. And I want to have my experience be perfectly isolated from everyone else's. Those two things are incompatible. Like and if you want to absent yourself from the discussion of a thing, especially an old thing that is a cultural touchstone, that is on you. The rest of us are going to have a discussion about the text that has sort of lived in the world for over 20 years. That's that's the world the rest of us live in. And we're going to continue having that evolving, ongoing relationship with a thing. And we're not going to then set the clock back to day one of Final Fantasy VII's release and not talk about this like eminently important text in video games. The I think other we could part talk of this, about it without 
with some with a warning up front though because there are people who weren't alive 20 years ago that this is their first uh coming Great. like this Achilles is their first dies. time <laughs> <laughs> god damn it i hadn't read the fucking uh <laughs> i mean what rob's so getting at like, like, by the way sorry <laughs> <laughs> like Rob's getting like who what is this who is this game for right like right. is and that's like the inherent tension and what Rob's saying like what even is this game is like is it like a remix a reinterpretation a retelling in that does it earn the right for it to be like oh actually we should respect like the story like keep it clean for people who maybe haven't experienced it yeah or what is if this purely just going to be like a one to one with new graphics and like a real time combat engine? And I guess my question is like, uh, you know, for like that pivotal moment, which I still I'm refusing to acknowledge what happens. Like I'm I'm I I feel weird about just saying yeah. the thing that happens. Yeah. Will it happen? Will the it exact even same happen? Way? Will it even happen? Or will the game acknowledge there's been a gap? Like and subver- what I'm hoping is Final Fantasy VII subverts expectations and plays with the story, even if it arrives at the same like end state. Um, mm-hmm. And I, goddamn, you better keep that fucking ending because <laughs> I want people to be that me- that ending is infuriating in the best way possible. It is a beautiful, lovely ending to that story that I do not anticipate. What them. do you find beautiful about that ending? Because it leaves things open ended. You don't quite like it. There is closure. But it's not closure in like the very traditionalist sense of how we it's it's a kind of frustrating ending because you're left to fill in the gaps. But I do not think they're going to do that this time, Rob. Like I just don't think we the new storytelling of Final Fantasy is going going to demand a cleansliness that Final Fantasy VII was rough around the edges is part of what makes that game beautiful. Um and part of what I like about it. I just don't expect they're gonna do it this time. I think this is the other thing that I just genuinely despise about the whole spoiler culture thing is that what is interesting to talk about with Final Fantasy VII are things like those endings, what they mean, what their significance is. What happens in Final Fantasy VII, as is the case with a lot of like stories, the details of what specifically happens in a plot are not why you're there. Like right. if you like if you are there for a sequence of events to be unfold and the only delight you take in it is being surprised by gosh I didn't see that coming then you are not really there for like I, like you're probably if that is the only thing a, pe- a work of like create if that's the only thing a creative work has to offer it's probably a bad creative work um because like the pleasure in large part is about like the how of things happening, the why of things happening. And I think this is the thing that frustrates me a lot with this idea that suddenly Final Fantasy VII has to go back in under this spoiler embargo uh, because immediately every conversation is going to become this really frustrating series of elisions where like Patrick's describing, oh man, it's got that great ending. What they're going to do about that. Nope. Can't tell about what the fuck that means because we just have, we just have to have it in like in these ellipses where we can't actually well, describe. So I don't think we should do this. I think what will end up happening in the future is that like, we just preface the discussion where it's like, we've all played Final Fantasy seven. We're just going to talk about it. And if you haven't like, go find a discussion that is explicitly framed in a way that is like newcomers or we're not going to talk about like, cause I, 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 for the purposes of this specific discussion, because I think it's like interesting to have like the, the, the guardrails up because that's part of what I find interesting about this moment. But like in the future, like I'm not going, cause I can't, my entire interest in this game is what are they going to do with that shit? 
And so, because I already had the Usenet message board discussions about the themes of this game. Like, I'm not that interested in, like, <laughs> yeah. doing that again. I'm way more interested in Final Fantasy VII as a cultural work and what it means to revisit that and what they do with that. Like, I want to talk, like, more specifically about, like, Barrett as, like, the for most people, the first black character they encountered in a video game. And how in Final Fantasy VII, like, it treats him as, like, a really shitty stereotype. And it's like, what do they do with that character? In like you don't you, you don't bring that you can't copy and paste that you do that and it's like that if that's a bad video game. If character. there's any country, if there's any company that I believe would pull that just whole cloth straight from Final Fantasy VII, it's Square Enix. They do you, can do I mean, it. Do you think? I think you, they can. Like, I think they can, I, and I, they I, might. I think they can. I think they might, and it's, there's a good chance they will. But it's like, do you like how is like. The cross-dressing scene gonna play mm-hmm. in 2020 or whenever this actually comes not out. Not great, like, but they're not gonna change it. Yeah, <laughs> no, like they're just gonna be like it's, and maybe they'll got they'll, they'll hide they'll be able to hide behind. Uh, like this is a separate interesting discussion about this game. Right. Like, like the stuff that doesn't culturally, like we've since decided like ah that's like well Barrett was problematic at the time. <laughs> like, like let's not pretend this it was is, like, all problematic. Too- it's just like not not as many people knew. Right, like it was right. more excusable um, because it wasn't as widely culturally acknowledged to be an issue. Correct. <laughs> yes, and it's like, will they just hide behind like, oh, but that's what but it that, was in the. From that right. t- what do you want? What do you expect us to do? Like to disservice to the fans? Well, that means not- though that if they can't, if they do that, if they try, if they're gonna try to hide behind that, they can't change anything, right? Right. It's either but you're being a hundred percent faithful, or you're going to make things make changes. So also, like a Barrett's going to be voice acted this time, which means yeah. you just can't fucking use those lines because <laughs> I even think the Square Enix's standards <laughs> will be like, yeah, cool, like you know, can't just you like, fuck so. a character from. I hope so. Yeah. I really hope. I so. I don't know. You can always find somebody who does a killer Mr. T impression. Just oh, like, look, out, this look entire this. character is an homage to a beloved American icon. Mr. T. Uh, and also, this voice. game is is old, and we knew less back then. Uh, no, I don't. I like. I don't know how. Like, I don't know. How, I don't know how you resolve that. Um, but I don't know. Kind of. Why, why am I wrong? Why am I being a dismissive asshole on the uh, on the spoiler front? Like, like, sell me, uh, sell me on the idea that. I mean, to me, it's literally just this, like. <sighs> The way that you read a work absolutely has to do with any previous knowledge of that work, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you go in knowing certain information, you're going to read situations differently. And some people want to have, I understandably, uh, a clean reading of a thing because that's the way everyone experienced it the first time, right? Um, and there's – I – like – those discussions, I, f- I feel like the, the 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 easy answer is really just like you have to like upfront like for le- allow people to choose to opt into the discussion of a thing that is going to be talked about by so many people, right? Like that's why people s- use uh, spoiler tags on shit like the new Game of Thrones stuff, but they're still talking about it after they've warned people, right? And that seems like not that big of a hurdle to cross in order to like let some people be a little late to the party. Um, it definitely feels like in this situation, it's this thing that's been talked about in like reverent tones for so long that it will have crossed over to a generation that never got to experience it and is particularly hard to try to experience that anymore until like just re-released it on Switch recently, right? 
But even also, like some of the moments we're talking about, yeah. happen so late in the game, they're not going to be in the first, first one. Yeah, bit it's going to be an episode. If we can see, if we think of it as a trilogy, maybe right. We're like episode one ends with you won't get to the overworld, right? Like you leave. I could see episode one being all Midgar, like right. all in that industrial right, city. Right. Episode two is like leaving. Right. Is a, a, a wider world, like something like Final Fantasy 15. And then episode, episode three, three is just is... hours of Chocobo racing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, weirdly, that's the added content is yeah, they just nice. like remake uh, HBO's luck, but in Final Fantasy. <laughs> and Well, so how many times am I going to shut down production because the horses die? <laughs> the Chocobos keep fucking dying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say. As, uh, also as someone that uh, try, is spoiler averse and tries to respect that stuff and enjoys, I will say, I, Rob, you're absolutely right, that a narrative work that is entirely hinged upon surprise is revealing of a poor narrative work. That said, I think smart writers, storytellers also use surprise in ways that enhance the storytelling. But if in removal of that, the whole thing falls apart, well, then yeah, like it was a house of cards to begin with. That said, like really smart storytellers, I think use surprise and misdirection as a as a way of um, enhancing the story that they are telling. Like I don't think Final Fantasy, but the, that said, I don't think Final Fantasy VII is a house of cards, right? I think Final Fantasy VII, like having not revisited that game since I was a kid, like th- that's a story that holds up regardless of like those big pieces that were like or the one big piece that we're like refusing to talk about. Like the themes of that story are, are, are interesting regardless of, of, of that one bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, we're gonna talk a lot about Final Fantasy seven over the next couple. I'm glad everyone's played it. Everyone has, everyone has very strong feelings about Final Fantasy. VII. I've never, I, I never finished it. No, no, I got to, I had, um, I borrowed a friend's PC copy that had multiple discs Disc two Hell was yeah, scratched. the Eidos Interactive PC version. Yep, disc two was scratched. So I got oh, to holy shit to the overworld. I think literally like left Midgard, Ouch. flopped in the second disc. Fucking, I think I chocobo so raced never, once or met, something. You've never met Vincent or Valentine or any no. of those characters. Who the fuck is? Damn, is that the Dirge of Cerberus guy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did you play that game? Jesus, why did you? No, you I did not. I did not play that game. Okay, I didn't know who the fuck that was. <laughs> I want. Show I me honestly, Kate Sith. I honestly did show not show make... me Kate Sith. Uh, show me the big cat. Well, it's not a big, big cat. cat. It's a small cat. There's a bi- small cat on a, a big thing, and a big thing, an undefined, yeah. undefined big thing. Anyway. thing. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. I know uh, this spoiler. Even though I never played the game, and well, yeah, because it was a culture. It's like yeah. it's impossible. Yeah, like it, it, like if you were to go through the last thirty years of video games and rank like culturally important moments, like yeah. not like capital I like changed video game moments, but just like things that everyone mo- like, talked about, and yeah, that, were that's like, in the top top three, prob- probably, yeah, a- a- absolutely top five. Could arguably be like number one. Um, I would I would entertain it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I would be curious. People should write in. Um, I would be curious to hear other people's thoughts on also like where you fall on on this stuff. Because quick, it won't be the last time we talk about it. Yeah, go ahead. Quick short thing about this. I couldn't quite tell, but what does it seem like the actual mechanics are? Like, I'm having trouble parsing like what the trailer is actually showing as far as like well, is it is it just a straight ass- active time battle or does it look more like 13's weird like. My running assumption, and they're just gonna like crib the the combat from fifteen. 
and fifteen really. Be, yeah, interesting. Right, that's wait, right, that's the the th- that's the the open world one. That's the most recent yeah. one. Right? Yeah, that's the most recent. That's yeah. the one. The car boys. Yeah, my guess, my thought has always been they're just going to take the car boys combat, and that allows you to. But you have to swap party members, right? Uh huh. Do you swap party? Do no. You swap party members in you don't. fifteen? No. Hmm. No, you only play one, and the other ones are kind of on a. It's kind of like the 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 Kingdom Hearts thing, you know, Goofy and Donald. Yeah, I guess it, my thought would be it would probably end up being a hybrid where it's like, right? You can you're gonna you're gonna set like AI routines for the other party members, but like they're gonna let you be Barrett, right? Yeah, like, yeah. That's the thing. I, I, I don't think, think I don't think that that fifteens actually works for this. I feel like. Hmm. 13 or 12 is probably what they're doing. I actually liked 12s. It was weird. But um That's the MMO one, right before the MMO. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's the re-release Zodiac Age or the re-release they just did of that one. Right. Yes. But like yeah, you uh, it was kind of like halfway in between where you were setting you were setting these like AI patterns and it was kind of right. instead of selecting a command, you would just like choose targets and kind of swap between uh, things to do once the active battle timer like came down. It was interesting. It was interesting to play on mm. the fly because it was all like you just had to hit it. If you wanted to change your mind, you had a certain amount of time to do it before it it would automatically do the next command. Uh, well, they've said they're going to do a much bigger presentation, so we'll probably get that stuff answered um, mm-hmm. at E3 in a, in a couple of not weeks. Not at so. E3. Uh, not at E3? I mean, they're not going to be there, right? They're, but they're having well, Square, Square is Enix, having a huge right? Okay, okay. Yeah, Square yeah, is not. They Sony. actually took, they took Sony's slot. Um, oh, in like the so yeah. So huh. the, my guess is that that's because yeah, that they're makes basically going to focus on it's a lot of space. Uh huh. Probably well, going to be like a, <laughs> <laughs> yo. If, if E three ends with thirty minutes on explaining what the hell this Final Fantasy VII game is, and then just like a tease for like a near a new Yokotaro game, like oh, cool, like twenty nineteen yeah. is good. <laughs> I feel like it's been long enough that we should start hearing about uh, what Yokotaro uh, is doing. Next game, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, well, let's. We got a couple of things we've been hit on. I, I'm gonna punt on a Plague Tale to Innocence, uh, which comes out today. But I, I, the short version is it's a stealth game about avoiding thousands of grotesque rats. That Hell want yeah. to eat your flesh and turn you into bones. Um, it is a very simple game, but one that like knows what it is and doesn't try to be much more than that. And I find I found it like incredibly charming yeah. so far nice. um, for a game that incredibly charming for yeah, a that's game a weird which, descriptor. Yeah. Uh, well, I, charming in that like it. I like well, no, the characters are charming, but like it's, it's charming characters. Um, let me. I will briefly explain uh, the, the uh, a sequence <laughs> of the game, and I, I will move on. So I entered a room in which there were uh, lots of rats. Like fire is your main sort of um, way of dealing with things. Um, so there's thousands of rats in this room. I need to get to the other side. Uh, up above me is a corpse that is hanging from the rafters, and so I th- use my sling, which is your main interaction with the world, to like break the chain. And then the, the 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 corpse falls to the ground. The ants or the, the the rats rush like ants to the flesh, which that noise, the falling, alerts a guard. That guard comes in, and he's got a lantern with fire in it, and that spreads out the rats in a way that fucks me because it originally the the they were eat, they were munching on that corpse, and I could walk past, not anymore. So I take my sling out and I whip it at that dude's lantern, knock it out, 
and then the rats eat this man alive. Nice. And I <laughs> walk around him and I go to the door. Um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more uh, later because I've played like four or five hours and I've, Sounds I've neat. quite liked what I've played so far. But it's um, it's gross. It's a gr- it's a very gross game. Um, but uh, just kind of like it's one of those set your expectations accordingly. Right. And I think you'll have a good time if you're anticipating like much more than what the game is presenting right in front of you. You'd probably be disappointed, but once I did that, I've I've enjoyed what I've played uh, of it so far. Um, uh, I want to jump strategy corner, Rob. You have you you've played what? Anno eighteen hundred. You played some more Imperator. What's going on out in the world of tactics? Yeah, so I started getting into Anno uh, this weekend, um, and I've just started on the campaign. But boy, is it it's funny, is what I'll say. Hmm. Okay, um, Rob. That's so uh, it's a hmm? city builder. Oh. And uh-huh. it's set in the year 1800, so early Industrial Revolution, uh, you know, all that stuff. And actually, it feels like it's taking place later than that. But either way, it's very, you know. <laughs> it, 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 Can't, uh, yeah, I knew there'd be a quibble somewhere. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a lot of steam engines for the year 1800, sure. if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, it's a uh-huh. little weird. But, uh, yeah, so what is very funny is that this game kind of really digs old school, like colonial propaganda is the way I'd put it. Like, okay. The world is just full. Like the world is your playground. It opens. You're this rich heir or heiress uh, out in, I don't know, some kind of tropical paradise with your trusty manservant, our haunt, uh, oh. who owes <laughs> you a debt of his life uh, because, <laughs> Uh, you saved his life, of course. Okay. Well, um, and so, so then like, you just got to be by his side for the rest of eternity. Can't forever. go off of your own life. Yeah. Forever. Uh, just yeah. And it's a big debt. And then so you you're called home, and it turns out that oh no, uh, the sort of family patriarch uh, has been jailed for treason. He died in prison and all your family's massive estates and business interests and holdings were transferred to evil uncle Edvard. Uh, but good news. There is this completely empty resource rich Island just across the strait from your family's old holdings where That's you and your followers can go and settle and start, uh, so just leave up. all that shit behind. Don't contest it in court. Fuck just it. go. Just go to down the street. <laughs> no, <laughs> Uncle grass. Edvard has control of the courts. Uh, okay, he, you know he, he owns that town. So you have to create <laughs> a new community on this, like again, wholly empty island, just full of natural resources for you to exploit wow. well, and start rebuilding nice. this. This um, you know, build, building up your economy. And it's a, it's a, you know, like all the Anno games, it's gorgeous. Um, like it's really. Just fun to watch your cities sort of work and was the last one they routines. did was the space one or is that two the before? moon yeah yeah um, but the other part of this campaign is it keeps trying to introduce ideas like Uncle Edvard is not popular uh, people are not happy <laughs> to see him like in charge of things and so you see oh, so things they li- like they liked the previous rule like you were like a they loved your dad so much he was a good okay. no. trusty. Robert Baron, Lord. <laughs> like a Ned thing. Stark? Yeah, very much so. And what's great is at one point you're like, oh, there, there's unrest. Uh, people are chafing under Uncle Edvard's rule. Uh, go and go and look at the mobs gathering around the exposition site, uh, you know, in, in, in the old town. So you go and look, 
And there are bands of workers in the streets marching with red banners mm. and placards and like mm-hmm. red armbands. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they're just demonstrating on behalf of your family. They're oh. just the worker. Oh. The workers are here. They are united. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> and what they have to say is they much preferred the old family that inherited all this wealth and oh, uh and that's what they have and to they, say that's the workers are here and they want to reestablish <laughs> the rightful monarch <laughs> CEO of their country. Strange. That's a that's, that slogan's not particularly catchy. I'm gonna be honest. That's gonna be hard to chant in the streets. <laughs> and yet, watch us sweep the Democratic primary. Uh, <laughs> and, and so it's this is and the weird thing is this is so goofy. Like it is on one level undeniably offensive. On the other hand, it is so goofily naive of like. Any self awareness about this stuff? Like it's not malicious. The, it's just like, oh, of course, this is how things would go. Yeah, I don't know. It's more. Well, it, there is maliciousness <laughs> in ignorance, I guess. But you, it's it's more just. I, I can't. I can't speak to it whether it's malicious or not. I can only say the reaction I have to it is consistent hilarity. Like it's just. <laughs> it's it's breathtaking. It's like watching somebody make an old school Disney movie, mm-hmm. like in 2019, where it's like. Fuck it, racial stereotypes, crows, and yeah, it's God it's it. really kind of amazing uh, to to see and and watch how like uh, the other part of this is I think one of the things they want to get at they like the aesthetic of the 1800s workers in the streets strikes outside factories all that shit it's very like what if Peaky Blinders but cute I guess. <laughs> uh, and then at the same time, though, it wants to recast all of that stripped of like any kind of political context and meaning and just make it part of like the flavor of your idyllic little city builder uh, where you just watch the numbers go up and you watch uh, more advanced classes of worker uh, and citizen arrive in your city uh, and unlock new industries. Um, you all are familiar <laughs> with that, right? How Anna works? No, do you want to at least give us a... Okay. Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> so. Oh, come on. You can do this. Come no, on. No, 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 no. I was. I wasn't. I was like. There's oh, you a thing me, you need you want, to know you about Anno. Me to just. Uh huh. This okay. is important context. Yep. Anno, there's sort of a hierarchy of worker, like contributor to society thing. Um. What I, what I more mean by that is it begins from the basic subsistence industries, and then you get to like intermediate goods, and then like finished goods. So you're basically building a series of like. Uh, supply chains. And each stage of those supply chains has to be manned by more sophisticated, uh, you need more sophisticated facilities, and therefore you also need like more sophisticated workers. And so your basic worker is like farmers. Farmers come in, they just like, you know, harvest crops, uh, they, they, you know, cut down trees and turn it into, t- you know, usable timber planks. But then you upgrade like farmer housing and turns into worker housing and then you've got like crude mills and shit that are available but that keeps scaffolding up and so the big part of like a big part of anno is like your goal is man i need a big bustling professional class to be at the top of this of this entire Mm -hmm. structure uh and like the entire economy and layout of your cities in this game is about fostering the development of these like managerial classes. 
And that's kind of how you win. And so that's the other funny part of like where this game's weird. Like it wants the aesthetics of some politics, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't, it can't actually comprehend those politics because it's entire game design is predicated on this really simple, you know, you need, you just need to keep like having this ladder of workers and goods to make your economy like stronger and more powerful. And that just doesn't fit with like what you don't have is a game with the capacity to model something like what if the workers hate their foreman? Mm-hmm. Like in in the world, this game, like you put up a building full of foreman and it's like, great job. You've got you've got a building full of foreman and office managers now. <laughs> now you can build the good shit. And that comes with no other problems whatsoever. And so that's. And so that's kind of where I'm at with 1800 right now is like, mm-hmm. it is so, it's just so goofy and weird and heightened. And all of this is done in this really like ridiculous storybook style. Um, everyone's just shocked that I cannot believe Uncle Edward would be so dastardly. By the way, they're not even, they all sound English. So when they say Edward, it's weird. It's like, it's like posh, posh accent. And then, oh no, it's Uncle Edward. <laughs> Oh my <laughs> there's God. great shit like and, and there's great shit like oh no we must we, we need to tell the queen about what uncle edvard is up to and just this big like mustache comes up and he's like you know i loved your i loved your father i the queen and i were very sorry he could not get a fair trial and i'm like he died in the queen's dungeon man <laughs> like that's what do you mean you're sorry he died in your basement <laughs> but in the world of anno Mm-hmm. He didn't really. Yeah. And so it's it's just a weird game in ways that I kind of find refreshing because it is just so <laughs> it is so baffled by its own text and so kind of thoughtless. I'm like, wow, you just did that. You didn't even think twice about it. Just no. God. Yeah. Damn. And it, it, yeah, it's just it's 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 so it's hysterically funny. Um, and also, it's just really pretty. So uh, that's that's where I'm at in the campaign. And I'm really curious to see how this stuff unfolds. But um, I just I, I cannot stress enough uh, just how old look, fashioned this look, game is. When workers get angry, all they really want is a boss that was better. You know, like the good old days. <laughs> yep. Well, when you put it like that, Kato, damn. <laughs> Makes you think. Uh, uh, what about Imperator, Rob? Where are we at? Where are we at there? Uh, so I started kind of a speed run of not wow. like I am basically trying to see how much of the world I can take over as Rome uh, <laughs> before the game starts like pushing back at all. Like, is there anything that can stop me as Rome? Because this was the part of the game that I didn't fully get is. There's this tension in historical games where you want to people like the idea of like, I'm going to be the Roman Empire and do all that cool shit that you see in Spartacus, like making <laughs> like slaves saying fight to I death am Spartacus. and having, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like hey. a typing game and you just, do, 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 do. I am yeah, um, <laughs> but the. The trouble there is so there's this 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 pressure to have well Rome should be really powerful and there are historical factors that like do like there are reasons why Rome kind of became a massive empire and a lot of its neighbors didn't but at the same time um, 
how far, uh, how much on the rails do you put that process? Like how, Mm -hmm. how many buffs do you give Rome? Their solution here is to give Rome a ton of buffs to the point where Rome is unstoppable. And so what you're used to doing in these games, you kind of have to play politics. You have to diplomatically isolate people in terms of like, this person's a threat to me. They won't be a threat if I can conquer them, but they've got all these allies around them. So how do I sort of peel them from the herd? When do I like time my strike with Rome? You don't really need to do any of that. You can just be like wrapped up that war. All right. Who's next? (laughs) And it's, like I sort of had this run where I seamlessly went from invading all of Greece and the Balkans and like just kicking loads of ass there <laughs> turned around. And then it was like, I guess Carthage, I guess it's Carthage's term turn in the barrel <laughs> and just kind of turned around like, had like five years of peace where I just like moved all my troops back to like the Carthaginian border, built up fleets and just kind of created this massive naval blockade and just swept in on North Africa and just started like laying waste to Carthage. All of it was like ridiculously easy. And that's a problem because I think the, the other part of this is like the, like the most sort of famous stories of Rome, like, Fighting Hannibal, fighting Carthage, we know that's kind of an important big conflict, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the Romans get their asses kicked a lot. Like it is it is a hard war, it is a long war, it is a protracted war. I have yet to find a reality in this game where Rome has anything to worry about on that front. There is no there there's no like pressure against you just rolling over everyone. Right. And that is Kind of one of my big problems with the game is it's at its most interesting when you're a little bit less powerful, when you're surrounded by like a lot of similar uh, opponents in, in, in your weight class and you're trying to keep pace with them. As Rome, it's like this game literally has no breaks. It's just you can keep going. Um, there's no one you can't crush. And if you can't crush them, you can buy them off. It's, 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 it's a frustrating thing. I like mostly, I think this is probably my only game is Rome. I played half of another one. Uh, this is probably, I'm going to, I'm going to play through this and see if I can get the whole, like, can I make this game break? Basically, is there a point where <laughs> I have that moment where I'm like, oh no, that was too much empire. And I have Imperial <laughs> collapse because that happens in other paradigms. Oh no, games. too much empire. The classic family game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oops, great salt. cereal too. <laughs> <laughs> No, but this is like other other paradox games do have mechanisms for if you just continue to expand, the entire thing becomes more and more likely to just crumble the fuck apart. Mm -hmm. And negotiating that is a big part of the game. As Rome, none of those rules seem to apply. And I'm really trying to see like there's got to be a point where like some Frenchmen get pissed off, right? (laughs) <laughs> like some like somebody's not going to be happy about this. Yeah. Is it always so is far it now. is it So you have to like explain Cass's um what is it? Cass's belly? Yeah. Uh does cuz it sounds like you catch you're just kind of rolling over everybody. Does does is there any does it does it ever stop you having to do that or like so there's um, like Imperator, like a lot of Paradox games, has 
um, a thing called like aggressive aggression penalty, aggressive expansion penalty. Uh-huh. So there's a couple things that lead into this. Um, the more you take in a peace settlement, the more aggressive expansion penalty you get. And that right. affects how other countries view you. Um, and the other thing is it creates unrest in your own country. So if uh-huh. you like, you know, if you in one go double the size of your country, uh, chances are you have incurred a lot of aggressive expansion and every group in your, in your country that doesn't fit like your core ethnic type, for instance. Uh, mm-hmm. so like, you know, everyone, everyone in Italy, uh, worships like the Hellenic pantheon, but not everyone is Roman. Right. And so all the non-Roman ethnicities, when your aggression is really high, are just extra pissed off. Uh, they're less productive. They're more inclined to rebel. Um, care, I think character loyalty is also effect, right. affected. So there, there's an effort in the game to stop you from pushing that too far. Mm-hmm. I've pushed it pretty far. It's not that hard to, to survive. And the yeah. other thing is... It cools down pretty quickly, and there's things you can do huh. to basically like. It's very much like GTA uh, heat level, right? Where you're just like, okay, we just need to lie low and like, <laughs> just know, wait it out. Convert, just wait it out. Yeah, just go over there. <laughs> just like, go find an alley. Yeah, go, go talk to those Carthaginian dudes. Like, make them Roman. That'll be fine. And, you know, good. it'll be cool. <laughs> yeah, and so that's the the main thing right. this game tries to do throughout breaks, but it's it's, it's even not then, very effective, right? Because that's the only thing I could like. I get I I could understand them leaving. Being, letting it be a little easy to roll over people militarily, but then have the problems or the issues when playing as Rome come internally and having to deal with all those systems w- would have been maybe a more interesting way if like that was ramped up because you do get huge, obviously, as Rome eventually. But um, it seems like they just like even those aren't really doing anything to Rome. <laughs> Maybe you're just a really good boss, Rob. You know, <laughs> just everything's fine. Have you th- considered that's, this part? That's why the people they only riot on my behalf. Yeah. <laughs> just oh, just streets filled with demonstrators and rioters, and I'm like, I've heard you. <laughs> I'm going to run this more aggressively. <laughs> oh god! Uh, all right. Well, before uh, we we wrap this up. Uh, Kato, what's you? You hey. all you said was shit's happening in Destiny. Yeah, so what shit is happening in Destiny? Cool it, shit. It does. People seem really happy, right? Like they're really tumultuous period with Destiny Two. Yeah, post sort of breakup with Activision. Like I, I'm not playing, but I don't know. Like just casually watching, people seem excited and happy. And I know there was like a mission that just went in recently that people seem yeah. stoked about. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. Um, in general, it just has been. Um, they've changed, they changed up in, uh, and this all probably happened still under Activision, so this isn't anything to do with that change, but, uh, with this past, um, couple of months since, uh, Forsaken came out in the fall, this, this, these past, like, several months, they changed up the way that they dole out content and the way that they kind of organize the way that they do story in the game, where before, whenever there was a new expansion, it would drop with uh, a short campaign of like five uh, missions. You would go through them. They would have cutscenes, and then after that, it was kind of a regular end game grind with very little um, interesting narrative to go along with it. 
this time around with the season pass, what they've done is they've they're not making nearly any cutscenes. Uh, everything is kind of in-game engine stuff, and NPCs will still talk to you. There will still be plot happening, but it'll, it's all delivered through uh, quests and NPCs in a way that make the world feel actually more alive than it normally does. Um, when these stories kind of happened in cutscenes that were often not great, even like they visually very pretty, but then like the writing was never like up to snuff compared especially when compared to the lore in the game um right the way that they're they the lore books are in the game now aside from that you're also getting messages and uh just having face-to-face talks with npcs in the world it feels much more integrated into the 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 space being a living space um and aside from that they've also started doing some um some of the best parts of destiny one for me were these uh almost uh, alternate reality game style puzzles where like entire communities have to come together to figure out uh, different like ciphers and things like that. And um, Didn't they, wasn't they famously like pull the plug on like the end of the first one of those saying like, yeah, this shit's too hard. I like, remember there being was out a clue. There was something recently. Yes. Um, oh, okay. In, yeah. In, so the first one of those that they did for this kind of uh, series of content um, in the black armory, uh, there was, yes, there was a, a clue that was, I forget if it was left out or missed or like missed so hard by the entire community that they were like, Yeah, never mind, like we fucked up. <laughs> Here here's the here's the answer to that last bit. But um it definitely it had this yeah, it had an issue where um it was like too esoteric even for the people. It was one of those like it's simpler than it looks, but because everything leading up to it has been so complicated you're in the brain space of like thinking beyond what the actual puzzle is asking of you. Um, but there's, um, that, that stuff has always been really interesting where like a puzzle escapes the bounds of just being able to be done by a single person. Um, and it has a lot to do with like being in or having at least enough, enough people to like, uh, talk about it, which I'm lucky enough, like the, the, the Wavepoint destiny crew is awesome and great. And there's a lot of people in there. Every time a puzzle comes up, we're all like in there just like talking, talking through it and trying to figure it out. Um, so those parts have been really interesting, uh, for destiny, even if like the base game, they, they're not changing a lot now with like the balance and mechanics of the game itself, the way that they introduce these puzzles, like have, adds this whole new layer for those who want it. And I'm one of those people. I love it. Uh, they recently did this new um, mission, which um, what's so mission design in Destiny in the base game at least is very simple. It's you know get from walk through these hallways, walk through these hallways, kill, kill these enemies, and like what comes what, the interesting part of those is mostly like enemy design and like the way that they make uh, combat design kind of different between different uh, enemy types and the ways you have to deal with. Um, or the ways you can use uh, abilities. But then once you've done that a million times in like a bunch of hallways, that's going to get boring. So this new mission was, um, they added this mission in a, um, they're also, what they're, part of what this is doing is bringing back a bunch of story threads from base Destiny 1 that people were wondering when they would get around to. Um, so hmm. there's this one awesome part hmm. in base Destiny or in base Destiny 2, rather, like the base game, where you um, basically make friends with this fallen captain. Uh, you, like, do a series of missions where... <laughs> what? <laughs> what, Rob? I'm trying to remember if that was in the base game. I'm yeah, yeah. No, it was. It was. Uh, after you finish the campaign, though, 
it's a post-campaign story, but there's okay. uh, on Titan, there's three missions that Sloane gives you. Um, it's Do you remember the Rat King? The gun, the Rat King is an exotic gun. Yeah. The missions that lead up to you getting that quest. Um, okay. Here's the thing. You might have accidentally killed this captain because a lot of people did uh, because that's just the game that Destiny is. Um, but at the very- but they basically tried to have you role play that story that Cade tells um, in the in the grimoire. Which one? Oh yeah 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 something. Yeah, remember there's a whole story where he was like back to back on the moon fighting right, with a fallen captain right, 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 right. hive. Well, no. So yeah, what happens is like in this series of three uh, missions, you uh, end up seeing this captain over and over again, uh, kind of following the same line of clues as you are. And at the end of the mission, uh, that captain and a hive uh, like uh, knight are fighting in this room, and you can like watch it play out, or you can decide to shoot one or both of them. If you shoot just the hive. The captain doesn't immediately attack you the way every other fallen captain would in that's just regular AI. It actually like pulls out this item from the wall that you were looking for and like hands it to you and then like bows out. And it's like, we're friends. We're all we're like trying to do the same thing here. Um and that uh that character has come back now. Um that fallen captain is giving you a new mission. You infiltrate um What's really neat about this is that they're using the old, uh, the tower from the very beginning of the game, right? The tower that gets attacked in Destiny 1. Um, but they've also added a ton of spaces that you've never seen. So it starts out in that familiar area of the courtyard and you're like running through the ruins and it's been taken mm-hmm. over essentially by Fallen. Um, and you go in, you find um, a door that previously wasn't open before and it actually leads out into a uh, a bunch of like uh, hangar areas that you've never seen before with ships and stuff that lead to like a series of mazes through a bunch of air ducts and a lot of what these what these missions have often is a lot of like jumping uh, or like mazes that normally is not a thing that they do often, like very interesting environmental design, a lot of verticality to these puzzles too, where like you're not just doing a puzzle like left, right, left, right, like there's a lot of ups and downs it's that like break it all up um and also this one area that introduces <laughs> it's basically a very simple a simple kind of room where there's like four quadrants but there's this patrolling enemy that kind of um takes up the entire hallway that you're walking down so it basically just bowls you over. It's very hey, funny. That. <laughs> it just like runs down like and you can see this red light. So if it's come it's about to come around the corner and you're looking down the hallway, you see this red light appear and you're like, "Oh shit, I have to run the other way." And like there's little like turnoffs that you can take, but uh it's it was a very interesting encounter that um it just kind of like each time they put out a new one of these, this is like the second one they've done for of this kind of type where like at the end you get like a specific gun that this is the only way to get it. Um, they the the first one was mostly like jumping puzzles, very cool environments, but the combat encounters were all kind of samey. This one added this new like thing that we haven't seen before, this weird like train that's gonna bowl you over and you have to figure out uh, a sequence of switches that you have to hit. Like it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, they they still have a lot of space even within the very limited mechanics of Destiny to make something new and interesting. And they've been doling it out uh over you know, over a couple of months instead of like only getting it with the big expansions was what used to happen. So 
Well, it seems like that like also ended up disappointing people because there ultimately wasn't that much. And so right. it's like if you wanted more story stuff, it's like very limited. Whereas it feels like a lot more if you're getting it in smaller chunks over a longer period of time yeah. instead of like if they just took four missions like this, crammed it in a $30 expansion and said, here's a, here's the next one. Right. Uh, then you would be done in like you, a day and like it doesn't right. feel like this. Which is what happened. Yeah. And here, the way that they like apart from just this specific mission, they've also been doing weekly missions that are also giving you new story. Um, and it feels, it has the effect of making, uh, another reason that it feels like the world is alive is like, it feels like time is actually passing in real time now. Hmm. Instead of before, like it felt like destiny was always kind of frozen in time. You weren't quite sure how how long it's been since X uh, events happened in, in the world of destiny. But us, um, they've done a few things of like, having more uh kind of seasonal events happening and like the, the 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 tower and the world changes as time progresses in a way that definitely has made being and coming back regularly feel more like all right like I'm spending time in this world rather than like I'm going to go hit x mission x mission x mission hell yeah yeah well it's so a good Destiny's time still good is what you're saying hell yeah it's great. Right. Play it. Everyone play Destiny. <laughs> raid well, raid with me. I'll be curious if they announce like a I'll, I'll be curious if they announce like a if they like it if we'll get any sort of yeah. like a big expansion talk as a way of like This is cuz it just seems an like quietly they've thing. made a lot of Well, but also you've got probably a lot of people like myself and like I'm not like the prime Destiny fan so I'm not sure. saying it has to be catered to me, but there's probably a lot of people who bounced off yeah. um or fell off and it's like what is going to be the moment that like now that they've sort of it seems like sort of stabilized, like the hardcore, yeah. It's like what? Where do they do to bring in people a couple tiers below that right. to like come revisit the game? Is that is that an expansion, or do at this point do they just like keep humming along the hardcore and then wait for whatever the proper sequel is, sure. you know, this year or or next year? And is that hardcore definitely... enough to sustain the game? <laughs> right. Well, but but and also it sounded like there was a tension between Activision and Bungie over like. How, how what is that balance right. and like Bungie's argument seemingly was actually the only thing that matters is making sure that hardcore is satisfied and and excited and interested and the other people can come along you know at different peaks and valleys right. of like content drops but Activision very much wanted like they clearly are going to want the mass market in a way that Bungie they just look at mass market in a different way. Bungie's yeah. mass market is the hardcore. Right. It is and the people who are going to come back week to week right. instead of right. like people who will drop it after the campaign. Like, Which is like right. there's space for both of those. And honestly, I think the way that they've um, made some of these stories actually allows someone who hasn't been coming back. Like you can pick up at the beginning of that thread and like still like play it week to week. Even if you're like quote unquote behind the rest of the community, if you're not paying that much attention, it doesn't matter. You can still enjoy that content on your own on your own terms, which is a good way to do it instead of it locking from week to week, just being like, this is the one this week, and if you miss last week's, you're fucked, right? They've they've right. done smart, they've made smart decisions with the way that all of that is uh, playing out, um, and yeah, there's questions about the next expansion, whether or not there's traditionally it's in the fall. There's a big thing. Right. Um, and right now, nobody knows if there will be a big thing in the fall. The next, the like rumors about, you know, Destiny well, 3. There's incredible leaks about Destiny 3. And it's like, well, why would there be credible leaks about Destiny 3 if 
there's going to be right. something like a, else, an expansion coming in the fall. But here's the thing: I feel um, I still feel like Destiny Three can't come in the fall. I feel like it no, has no, to it's be. Too it's, too it's too soon, soon. and it, which means they're gonna need something else to fill the gap between now and I assume that Destiny Three is gonna be next gen, right? Like it's it lines up too well for them right. to not be aiming for that already. That also it'd be wild if they decided to. Put one last one out on PS4. Well, that's what they did with Destiny One. Destiny One no. crossed well, over, they'll, and they'll, they'll, my guess is they'll end up doing the same thing they did last time, right. which is like there'll be a compromised a compromised version which for sucks. the previous platforms. <laughs> yes, yeah. Which, but I mean, that's I just can't. It's just hard for me to imagine a world where they cut off like right. the previous platforms for a, a service game, especially um, Sony ones. Because given that they have that um, agreement with them, uh, the I hope they drop that shit. I hope that's so something too. That Activision, <laughs> Activision loved to do. Right. Activision has been a publisher that has a long history of doing these marketing partnerships with whoever is dangling the money in front of them. Yep. It's not a particular allegiance to Sony. They did stuff like that with Call of Duty on uh, with 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 Microsoft. So I hope Bungie drops that shit Me because too. I've never gotten the sense that they enjoyed doing that stuff. That was just sort of. It you know, sucks. Some of the what you came along for the ride for in partnering with a company yeah. like Activision. So, and that, you know, that's also part of the reason why I think it'll be longer between now and Destiny Three because if Bungie, if Destiny Three or whatever it is, is truly like the first, like this is pure Bungie, right? Like you would think they would want a little more time to figure out what actually uh, that thing ends up, yeah, ends up being absolutely. So. So we'll see. Uh, maybe there'll be something in three. Maybe they won't. Um, I, somehow, with just the three of us and a smaller week, I was gonna hold us to a tight ninety. Didn't <laughs> didn't uh, hour fifty five star podcast five star runtime. <laughs> God, fucking damn it! Rob and I had these like conversations. Like, cool, we're gonna start on time. It's gonna be a shorter pod. Whoops. You've got this like. Well, hey, we're rolling out of the pod at one though. And not true, like true. setting up at eleven and then getting rolled. All right, open up the question box. No, so let's go. <laughs> no, we're not. Not Rob had one highlighted and then he unhighlighted it, and I am taking his unhighlight to mean we're no, I just noticed it. the highlight things. I just you, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, we have another podcast on Friday. We'll we will yeah. return. Um, so uh, yeah, that's gonna do it uh, for uh, us uh, this week. Uh, our thanks to Boan for the track "Miss You" off the EP. Pale Machine. Uh, you can follow more of Bowen's work at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. Uh, you can follow all of our work still at Waypoint, um, but uh, <laughs> there's a different logo there. Yeah. But it is still it is still us and, you know, work that is crossing over from uh, the folks uh, at, at Motherboard. So look forward to, to more of uh, that. Uh, like I said, we've got Rob's piece on Rage 2. It should be uh, up uh, when uh, reading this. Uh, Rob, where can people follow you? Uh, you can find me at Uncle Edvard Defender uh, on Twitter.com. Man of the people, Rob Zachney. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Club at Cotto. Where can people follow you? At A underscore Cotto underscore appears. Uh, and you can read all of our stuff. Waypoint.vice.com will work. And t- I'll just keep saying that even when it stops working. Um, <laughs> God damn. I, don't, I don't care. You can't, you can't stop me. Um, and we'll be You uh, want people we'll to back, see uh, stuff. That's true. That's true. Um, we'll, well, we're going to have an episode of Waypoints this week, right, Rob? We're still going to yeah. do that? Okay. Waypoints. Probably. Um, probably. Prob- probably. Yeah, that's the plan. Uh-huh. Uh, and we'll be back on Friday as well. Um, until then, uh, hmm. Hmm. We, just, we don't have Danielle. We don't have Austin. I don't. 
How do what do I do here? How do I get out of this? I think you just say bye. Oh, oh. bye. <laughs> Don't get too attached. That's all I'm saying. God damn it! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. God damn Kyle it. Kyle bleep that shit. Kyle bleep that shit. I'm serious. I'm gonna, bleep yeah. that shit and then keep in this yeah, part. Yep. It's funnier that way. <laughs> oh, God. That was extremely good. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> All okay. Right. All right. That was cool. a good pod, right, y'all. That was good. Fun times. Hey everybody, Kato here. Just gonna give you a friendly spoiler warning for the latest episode of Game of Thrones. Uh, That is Season 8, Episode 5. So if you haven't seen Season 8, Episode 5 of Game of Thrones and don't want to be spoiled, uh, I would eject now. Gonna give you a little bit more time in case you're fumbling for a pause button. And here we go. Um... They're doing something else next. Star Wars. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> um, uh, I saw some, someone uh, theorize that, like, look, if they were tired of Game of Thrones, that's, like, understandable. It's, like, you know, uh, 10 years of their life and yeah, get one and move on. But, like, you know what people do is they pass off the show running to someone else. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, like pass it off to that dude who wrote the the slow episode at Winterfell before the big battle. Like, you know what? That guy seems to understand what this show is about. Maybe just like <laughs> give it to that dude. He managed to like write like one of the best episodes in the series as everything else was crumbling around him. Literally, yeah. Um, and I would have loved to have someone that clearly had that passion for the characters and understood them on like a a character level like yeah go give him two real seasons i'll wait another two years it's fine like no one was gonna be mad if it's like give me another a, two years while we make another eight episodes cool that's fine like yeah nobody's gonna be mad at more game of thrones <laughs> no hbo would seem like yeah do it whatever you whatever you want like blank check and now nah, we like, need to go nah. make a we need to go rip off knights of the old republic and go make a God. star wars trilogy which i don't Given how this went, don't really yeah. <laughs> don't really expect that to be great. Nope.
fucking. It's fucked up it got thing like about a whole, it. The whole it... series building up to the uh-huh. hound having uh, that fight and a fucking just... Clegane Bowl. That? <laughs> yeah. That? <laughs> I mean, there was no way they could have lived up to it, but that's why I thought it should have been. That would have been like a very natural like Game of Thronesy thing where it's like it, it ends really quickly. Like he just like fucking trips and fall like the mount like the the mountain trips and falls yeah. and like <laughs> you just like you're just like wait what is that re- is that it? Um, yeah. Like that would have been a much more satisfying way to wrap it up than like a very anticlimactic fight. And they both die. And they both die. But the, he fell in fire. Oh, you get it? Kato you get it? The, the thing symbolism. that... Oh, my God. <laughs> the symbolism. God. <sighs> Arya's stuff was cool, though. Yeah. I mean, look. It, it seems, actually, the one character those showrunners seem to get is that character like yeah. even in like messy episodes like last week's like i thought her and gendry's right, like this sign should off. be working you're good you're, hi you're hi rob we can um, hear you can you not hear us though are you good wait yeah wait what wait, what can you hear us yes Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> that was not. I'm with you, Kato. That was like that was a delayed enough response that I wasn't. No, because I couldn't hear you convinced. because like it changed all the settings again. Oh. Uh, but no, the weird thing was um, the focus right just wasn't sending any microphone signal. Mm, weird. Strange, um, huh? Yeah, I had to unplug every like I had to unplug everything from the focus right, and I had to unplug the focus right computer. And then I had to like plug everything back in. Yeah. Um, and then hmm. it worked, but I don't know. It's that weird USB tech ritual shit you have to perform all right. the time. Yeah. That's I my don't. Webcam. Which... My webcam, like, just every two weeks, just yeah. Well, just unplug me, man. Just, just do it. <laughs> just unplug me. And I'm like, it's okay. such a weird technology. It's like it works all the time, except for those mysterious times when it just doesn't work at all, and you perform like these weird order of operations mini games. Sixty percent of the time, it works every time. Uh, yeah, that's you know what, <laughs> Not, honestly. All right, do we want to clap? Yeah. Oh shit! Oh wow, Kato's got a clap. I have to clap. Is the first time, first I time, think Kato the, clap. I think so. Wait, time. Kato, you have a, view, a good view of your setup so you can see if things get fucked up. Yeah, I got it over here. All right. see my screen. Okay. Slash just. Okay, let's see. Boop. <laughs> 51. Yay. I like it. Kind of aggressive with the numbers. <laughs> Didn't even have to be asked. I like it. Well, no one was saying anything. <laughs> I thought you were still in? pulling it up. No, nah, that's right. I, that's but right. I, was, I, I was ready. Mm. All right. Everyone ready? Yeah. Rob, you're good? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, three, two, one.